Church, I get, the, I get the privilege of sharing God's word with us. And I don't get to do that that often, too, too often. So I'm stoked. I'm stoked. So I want to jump right into it. Um, before I jump into it, I, I have a quick story. So this happened back in 2011, maybe 2013, sometime between, between those years. I got to be honest. I don't know because my memory is awful. So like... I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but while I was spending time with the Lord, um, I felt the Lord tell me, so I was reading and I was praying, and I felt the Lord tell me, you're going to lead worship. And I was like, what? Me? Lead worship? No way. But I kept thinking about it, and I started like messing around with my friend's guitar, and I started singing a little bit, but I didn't devote a lot of time to it. Short time after that, um, I think it was around my birthday time, some of the guys, um, they chipped in, and guess what they got me? A guitar. Yes, they got me a guitar, and now I'm thinking, like, God, this is crazy. Are you really going to lead me or push me into leading worship? So for four months straight, four months straight, practice every single day. It was jamming, singing, and then four months passed, and nothing happened. And I was like, oh, God, maybe, maybe I heard you wrong. Because um, sometimes, yeah, right? Sometimes we hear the Lord, like we think it's the Lord, but it's, it's not actually Him. So I ended up putting, putting that on the side, and I didn't devote much time into it. Fast forward to about 2016, lo and behold, I get the call. Mike, you got to lead worship. And I was like, no way. I can't do it. I wasn't practicing. I wasn't putting time into it, and I started freaking out. I was like, God, I can't believe this is happening. But by God's grace, he ended up pushing me into doing that. I ended up leading worship for the first time. And for those that were around when I first started leading worship, it was rough. It was rough. I don't know if you guys remember, but I think any time someone does something new, it's, 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 it takes a little time to get acclimated. But by God's grace, I ended up leading, for, uh, leading worship for about four years straight. It was me and David. We, we did it for four solid years. For, for the first two years, it was me and him, and then after that, we started taking turns. And it was a crazy season. And as I look back at that, I get overwhelmed. I get overjoyed, but if I, if I boil it down to an emotion, I, I am humbled. And the reason I'm humbled is because the Lord brought to fruition something I believe he told me. And that's what we're going to look at in today's text. We're going to see the faithful promise keeper how god is a faithful promise keeper he promised that he was going to take the israelites into the land flowing with milk and honey and he is going to do that in today's text i gotta be honest it was i was super super excited uh prepping this text it's a, it's a dope text so my heart's desire today as we cover the chapter is that we would either gain or regain an excitement in seeing the lord's promises come through fruition whether that's in the Bible or even in our lives. And as a result, we would worship and stand in awe of our God. So family, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into today's text. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, Open my eyes. Open my eyes that I would behold wonderful things in your law. Father, that's our prayer this morning that you would open our eyes, you would 
open our hearts, that we would behold you, we would see you, that we would see wonderful things in your law. We pray that you would excite our hearts, you would lead us into greater admiration, greater surrender, repentance, and obedience to you this morning. We pray these things in the matchless, mighty, holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So family, if you have your Bibles, please uh, open to Joshua chapter 5. If not, if you guys don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. Um, i got to be honest, I have a lot to unpack today. Um, someone asked me, oh, are, are you going rogue this morning? And I'm like, dude, I got points and points within points and then more points. So try to follow along. It was a super good text. I actually cut a lot out. So we'll just pick it up in verse 1. It says this. When all the Amorite kings across the Jordan to the west and all the Canaanite kings near the sea, when they heard how the Lord had dried up the water of the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, they lost heart and their courage failed them because of the Israelites. So what happened right before this? So last week we saw that God dried up the Jordan so that the Israelites could pass on dry ground. So when the kings on the other side, when they heard about this, the Bible says that they lost heart and their courage failed. Another translation says that their hearts melted. Family, it's a frightening thing to know and to realize that God himself is against you. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of God. And the kings realized this. They realized that God was against them and they lost their courage right before going into battle. And yet, the opposite is true, right? For those that are in the Lord, those who fear and trust, love the Lord, we have nothing to fear. Romans chapter 8 says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? That's such a great reminder that even when we're facing something big and something scary in our lives, if God is with us, we can be confident in him. We'll pick it back up in verse uh, verse 2. It says this, At the time the Lord said to uh, Joshua, Make flint knives, circumcise the Israelite men. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at GH. This was the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt were males. All the men of war. They had died in the wilderness along the way. Verse 5. Though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they had come out of Egypt. Verse 6. For the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, or in the wilderness for 40 years, until the nation's men of war came out of Egypt and died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed to never let them see the land that he swore to their ancestors, to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7, he says, He raised up their sons in their place. It was these Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in camp until they recovered. The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that place is still called Gilgal today. I know that's a lot to unpack, but I just want to make a couple of points uh, in in the section that we just read. The first thing I want to point out is Israel's radical obedience to the Lord. Look back at verse 2. God gives Joshua a command. 
He says, make flint knives and circumcise the men. And as Joshua heard this command, he gets right into action, right? He immediately gets to work. I want us to see that this is a uh, characteristic that we see in Joshua. He immediately obeys the Lord. He has immediate obedience. Just a small application point for us, we need to cultivate a heart of obedience. If we believe God is telling us to do something, we need to do it. Don't dilly-dally, don't delay, put it into action. I tell my sons all the time, all the time, because I, I tell them to do this, do that, do this. I'm sure parents know. I tell them, Joshua, David, it's disobedience until you actually do what I told you to do. And the same thing goes with us and God. If, um, if we believe God is telling us to do something, it's disobedience until we actually do it. Just a small caveat to that. Um, if there are major decisions in life, it, it's wise to seek counsel. The, the Bible says, um, for, uh, plans fail for lack of counsel. But God doesn't always tell us to do big, crazy things, right? I mean, sometimes he does. Sometimes he tells us to move to Africa. Sometimes he tells us to go on a mission trip, do these big things. But most of the time, it's these small things. It's the still small voice that we hear. Maybe it's things like someone check in on them. Give this person a call to see how they're doing. Tell them you're praying for them. Maybe it's something like reconciling with someone. Um, maybe it's apologizing to some, someone for something you did or something you, you said to them. I've got to be honest, uh, this happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, did something, and maybe about three, four days later, I, was like, I had to call them up, and I was like, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I did this. But whatever it is, whatever it is, just make it a habit to obey God as soon as you believe you hear him. Because if you don't, the voice of God will diminish in your life over time. And it'll be easier and easier to dismiss that voice. Joshua had this characteristic. And may we cultivate the same type of heart. The next thing I want to point out in this section is that God's logic is different than our logic. Isaiah 58 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. So the Israelites, they just crossed the Jordan and they are now in enemy territory. Um, verse 1, and the enemies are afraid. Um, verse 1 tells us that they are discouraged and they are disheartened. Now strategically, that is the perfect time to strike, right? When you kick your enemy or you hit your enemy when they are discouraged, when they are frightened. But God says, nope, hold up, wait a minute. Before you go into battle, I need you to be set apart for the work of the Lord. What he's saying is I want consecration before conquest. See, he wanted them to be circumcised before the... Uh, because those who were born in the desert, they didn't obey this command. They didn't. One commentator writes this about circumcision. Circumcision was always a powerful act of consecration to God. It's a stepping out in faithful obedience and identifying yourself as one of the Lord's people. It's a renouncing of the flesh and the world. It's a dying to self and a living to God. God is reminding them of this before they go into battle. So what does that mean for us? I want to ask us this question. What are the things in your life that you need to renounce? The things you need to cut off? 
the things you need to relinquish. Maybe you developed a, a bad habit, a habit that doesn't honor God. Maybe you've been hiding secret sin in your life. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to renounce that. It could be jealousy, bitterness, anger, hatred, lust, pride. It could be discontentment. Maybe there's unforgiveness in your heart. Whatever it is, we need to renounce these things before God and we need to give it to Him. But I want to make a note that we cannot do it on our own strength. We need the Spirit of God to help us. So I encourage you, encourage us to cry out to the Lord for His strength to renounce and to relinquish the parts of our lives that we are holding back from God. The next thing I want us to see in this section is the Israelites' radical trust in God. So verse 8 says this. After the entire nation had been circumcised, they stayed where they were in the camp until they recovered. So think about what, what's happening. The Israelites just crossed the Jordan, and they're now in enemy territory. They circumcised all the men of war, which basically left them incapacitated, weak, and vulnerable. They could have been attacked and annihilated. They could have been wiped out. But the Lord protected them and kept them safe while they were healing. And act like that, it takes trust in the Lord. That's what they did. They trusted the Lord with that area of life. And I wanted to, like, I wanted to ask us, what are areas in our lives that we struggle with trust in the Lord? So many different areas. And I just came up with four that I think most of us, if not all of us, could relate to. Um, this is not an exhaustive list in any way, but the first one I thought of is finances, right? I think we've all been in seasons, maybe we're in a season right now where finances is hard, you know? Especially when you go to the pump and it, it costs $60 to fill up the gas tank. Then you go to the grocery store and it costs $20 for, or $200 for a week's worth of groceries for the, for the household. Man, that's, that's rough. And, and sometimes it's hard to trust the Lord in that. Another one I thought of is change. Change is hard, family. Change is scary. It's difficult. We don't know what's going to happen, but changes can also be good. But it's hard to trust God when things change in our life. Another one I thought of, and this one, uh, I resonate with this one tremendously, is parenting, right? As parents, we try our best. You know, we try our best to love and to support our kids. We try the, our best to, to raise them up as we see the Lord is, is, is calling us to do. But we don't know what's going to happen to them when they grow up. We don't know how they're going to actually turn out. We need to trust the Lord with that. And the last one I thought of is the future. See, we don't know what the future holds. But we know who holds the future. So despite the difficulty of trusting God in different areas of life, I mean, these are just four, but there's so many other areas. Let's give that to him, trusting that he works all things together for good for those who love him. The last things that I, I want to point out in this text or in this section is the effect of obeying and trusting God. Verse 9 says this. Today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. The disgrace was their shame of slavery. It's a, it's a degrading thing to be slaves, right? The disgrace was rolled away by their radical trust and obedience to God. And God wants to do the same type of work in us. 
He wants, us, he wants to take away the dishonor and the shame of our previous sin and rebellion. And he wants us to see us as our, who we are in Christ Jesus. That's the renewing faithfulness of our God. That's what he wants to do. He did that with the Israelites. He wants to do the same thing in our lives. Let's pick it back up in verse 10. It says this. So while the Israelites camped, camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day. The day after the Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Crazy verse. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land for the Canaan, from Canaan that year. Verse 13, it says, When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man in front of him with a drawn sword. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua bowed his, with his face to the ground in homage and asked him, What does my Lord want to say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did what he said. So I just want to point out two things in this section before we slowly bring it to a close. Hey, I know you guys picked up when I said we're going to bring it to a close already, yeah? But like I said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of points to this text. So um, the first thing I want to point out is that Israel remembered their redemption. Verse 10 says that they celebrated or they observed the Passover. So the Passover was instituted in Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 13. And the purpose of the Passover was to remember the sacrifice, of the, uh, sacrifice and the Lord's deliverance of them out of Egypt. So one commentator writes this about the Passover. He says this, The original Passover itself could never be repeated but there was power in its remembrance. They were to live remembering that they were people delivered and remember God's work of deliverance. In the same way, we are to be in constant remembrance of our redemption at Calvary and live our lives in the shadow of the cross. Family, there is power when we remember. There is power in it. It helps us to revisit relive, re-engage with certain emotions, certain memories, certain thoughts that we've had in the past. And we as God's people need to consistently take time to remember what Jesus sacrificed for us at Calvary. See, he willingly laid down his life to set us free from the weight of, of sin and the bondage of sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God made him who had no sin be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a passage in Titus that perfectly explains um, who we were and what God did for us. Titus 3 says this, At one time, we too, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We gave ourselves over to whatever we wanted before we knew the Lord. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Verse 4 says this, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, 
He saved us. He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. For it is by grace that you have been saved. See, God does the redeeming work in our lives, and may we as His people remember His, his work and to have our hearts be stirred with affection for Him. May we fall in love with Him over and over and over again as we remember His mercy and His grace. The next thing I want us to see in this section is a shift in season and provision for the Israelites. So family, this is an exciting time for the Israelites. Okay? So this clearly marked a transition in seasons for them. So in verse 11 and 12, it says that they roasted grain from the produce of the land and they ate from the crops. And then, and then the manna stopped. So when the Israelites were slaves, um, in Egypt, God promised them to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. They were then led on a 40-year-long journey through the desert where God provided for them by bringing manna from heaven. So this was a very distinct season for them. This was a, a season of pruning and refining, but it's also a season where they saw God's provision in a very specific way. They now just crossed the Jordan, and they experienced the promise that he made to them. They ate from the land and the manna stopped. God is now providing for them in a new way. So what does that mean for us? The Bible says that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. It says there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to scatter. Family, we're all in different seasons of life. and It could be an exciting season where you're experiencing the Lord in great ways. You're experiencing His provision. You're seeing Him in different areas of life, and it's just a great season. But maybe you're in a trusting season where you don't know how God's going to provide for you. Or maybe you don't know how He's going to get you through a certain situation. Maybe you're in a difficult season where you're struggling to see the faithfulness of God in your life. Maybe you're in a season of pruning where he's cutting and he's taking things away and everything feels like it's going wrong. Maybe you're in a season of growth like the Israelites. See, they had to move and they had to push and be put in uncomfortable and hard circumstances, but they needed to do that in order to, to, to go into the promised land. Family, whatever season that you're in, I want us to know two things. See, told you more points. I want us to know two things. The first thing is this, that God is faithful. God is faithful. It says that he, the Bible says that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. In the difficult parts of life, when you're struggling to believe he is good, he's there. He's nearer than you know. And you have the unique opportunity to experience his nearness in that season. Even when things are going great, he's there. The second thing I want to I mention is that there are specific, usually timetables for seasons. Not all the time. Sometimes seasons will laugh, last a whole lifetime. But for the, most, um, for, for the most part, there's usually a start and an end to a season. There is. If you're on top of the mountain right now, and you're experiencing the Lord in, in great ways, like Moses when he was on the mountain, he eventually had to come down the mountain. 
His season changed. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death and, and you can't see a way out and all you see is darkness. You're passing through. The season will change. Just hold on. Trust the Lord in all seasons of your life. And as we remember that seasons come and go, we can be encouraged and have hope that the season will eventually change. So family, I want to close with three application points. With all the points that I have, we've got three application points, right? Okay, these, these, these will be quick and then we'll close up. First thing is this, remember the faithful promise keeper. Remember him. Remember he's faithful in keeping his promises. There may be times when we don't feel like it, but we need to remember him, think about it, read the promises. He just brought the Israelites into the land flowing with milk and honey, but they were in a 40-year-long journey, 40-year season. Before that, they were in a 400-year season. He is faithful. Number two, remember his sacrifice. We need to take time to remember what God has done for us through his son Jesus. Remember that we have been brought from death to life. We have been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. He gave us mercy and grace when we didn't deserve it. So we remember that. Take time to remember that daily throughout the day and have your hearts be stirred with affection toward him. Last thing is to remember and to rejoice in God's provision. He provided, God provided for the Israelites in the desert. He then provided again when they got to the land flowing with milk and honey. We too need to remember that God is our provider and he, is, he will faithfully provide for us. Philippians 4.19 says that my God will supply all our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. And after you see and experience his provision, thank him. Take time to worship him and praise him. We need to cultivate a heart of gratitude towards God. So family, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take a time of responding to the Lord. Father, there's so much to unpack in this, in this text, and we just see your faithfulness. And Father, we praise you for that. We praise you that we, we see the glimpses of your faithfulness to the Israelite people. And as we take time to remember what you have done in our lives, God, we look back and see that you are faithful. The low parts of life, you were there. When we were, when we were on the summit of mountains, you're there. We pray that you would remind us of this that you are our faithful promise keeper. And even if we are in a different season, our season's about to change, pray that, pray that you, would, you would remind us that you never leave us and you never forsake us. Excite our hearts for you. So if we're struggling with trusting you, pray that you would quell our trust, our quell, our angst, our anxiety. You would help us to rest, to rest in you. As we continue worshiping God, we pray that you would remind us of what you have done for us, that you have set us free from the weight of bondage and sin through your son, Jesus Christ. 
that our hearts would be stirred with affection. We would remember, we would remember what we were and what you have done for us. And our hearts would be encouraged. You would soften our hearts as we do this. Pray these things in the matchless, mighty, holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Family, we're going to